This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Get to it. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to the program. This is Sportsnet Today. Logan Gordon along with you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Along with my outstanding production team of Cam and Taylor this afternoon. Got you for the next two hours and lots to get to. Obviously the biggest news across the NHL last night. Tempe says no to the Arizona Coyotes. And Gary Bettman's pet project of keeping the Coyotes in the southwestern United States hits yet another speed bump. What's next for the Arizona Coyotes? Are there options left in the state? Is it a new home in Houston or Salt Lake? Lots of options on the table, but none of them seem good when it comes to keeping the Arizona Coyotes in Arizona. We'll dive into all of that. We've heard from Craig Morgan, Elliot Friedman, with the latest on that situation that's developing with the Coyotes. We'll hear from them a little bit later on this hour. We'll also continue to uh, preview the final four of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Carolina and the Florida Panthers kick things off in their Eastern Conference final matchup tomorrow. So we'll chat with Shane Willis, former NHLer, now analyst for Bally Sports, covering the Carolina Hurricanes and get the latest on their Stanley Cup pursuit. Plus, stop me if you've heard this before. Flames GM news on the horizon, question mark? That's what uh, Eric Francis from Sportsnet thinks, at least. He joined uh, Rustic and Rose on the big show a little earlier today. We'll hear what Franchise had to say about the Flames and their GM search continuing. And uh, also, training camp's uh, been underway for a few days now at McMahon Stadium for the Calgary Stampeders as they get set for their first preseason game Coming up in just a few days, so perfect time to chat with our pal uh, Matty Rose from Rustic and Rose in the morning. Of course, our Stampede reporter here on Sportsnet 960. We'll get you a little bit of a training camp preview for the Calgary Stampeders as they head into year one post-Bo Levi Mitchell. So all of that coming up on the program. Make sure to text this at the fan feedback line, 960-960. It's always open to you here on Sportsnet today, but very happy to kick things off. Taking a look at the Carolina Hurricanes and their pursuit for their second Stanley Cup in franchise history by going down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon and welcoming in former NHLer and now analyst for Bally Sports covering the Carolina Hurricanes. It is Shane Willis joining us this afternoon. Shane, thanks for doing this today, man. How are you? I am great. Thanks for having me. Uh, excitement level in Carolina for uh, another Eastern Conference final. I know it's not new to the Hurricanes to have some playoff success, but uh, I'm imagining it's still a pretty excited group that they're back here again. Yeah, the city continues to rally around this team. Uh, you know, for the past five years, and 
as we've talked about, Rod Burnermore taking over. Their goal was to become relevant each and every year and make the playoffs each and every year and make a run to Stanley Cup. And they're poised to do that once again as they enter the Eastern Conference final. But as we all know, it's never an easy task. And uh, a lot of people are looking at the Florida Panthers and I think overlooking the fact of how good this team is. They're like, wow, they were a wild card team. But I think the Hurricanes are focused on their go- their game. They know this is a very evenly matched series and the Florida Panthers are playing some of their best hockey of the year right now. Going back to the second round for us quickly, Shane, what was the difference for Carolina in a five-game series against the New Jersey Devils? Uh, I think just control. I think when you talk to any players or coaches around the league, the Carolina Hurricanes are at their best when they're minimizing chances and and just the way they play a suffocating style of defense, especially through the neutral zone. So to me, when you look at the Devils, and especially a player like Jack Hughes, who loves to utilize his speed and create opportunities off of the rush, as the Hurricanes were able to control that area, their defense are able now to stand up at the defensive zone blue line to create turnovers. I think it really frustrated the Devils and got them off of their game, and the Hurricanes were able to get their transition game going and, and really outwork the Devils in the trenches um, to create chances. Uh, Shane, there was a whole lot of talk around this team heading into the postseason as to where goals were going to come from when you lose the likes of Andre Svechnikov. Obviously, Tavo Teravainen goes down early. No Max Patch are ready for this group. How have they been able to overcome three pretty big losses when it comes to their offensive production and still manage to keep up in a postseason where we know it's always tough to score goals? Yeah, I mean, this team just screams depth um, and depth scoring from everywhere. I agree with you when, you know, they lost Patch already for the second time and then Svechnikov goes out, that's, that's a huge question mark. Uh, Table chair of Iron may be ready to enter back into this series. We'll know tomorrow if he's going to go into game one or not. But you, you look at the depth scoring. Um, Jordan Martinuk has been huge. Jesper Foss with two huge overtime goals. Uh, Kokinami's had a couple big games. Marty Natchez. But then, you know, Sebastian Ajo continues to be Sebastian Ajo leading the way for this team in the playoffs and how he creates and gets points for this team. But the biggest area, which we've seen all season long, and how this team creates has to be from the defensive. They led the league um, all season long with you know, offensive production, and they continue to do so in the playoffs with you know, Burns, Shea, Pesci, Slavin, um, and Gosset Bear, and Chatfield. So that, to me, is, is the key. And when I talk about depth, you look around the league, there are teams that don't have it, and right now they're sitting at home watching these playoffs, but you look across the way, and I think that's an area Florida has been getting from as well to make it this far. When I look at this series, Shane, I look at two guys that will probably see a lot of each other down the middle in very similar roles. I see Sebastian Ajo and, and Sasha Barkov as two very similar guys that are 200-foot players, but also based on where they play, probably not appreciated around the league nearly as much as they should be. Do you agree with that? I completely agree, and I love the point you just made about being 200-foot guys. These guys are all-stars and, and superstars for both of their teams, but they do it the right way each and every night. They compete defensively. They make sure they're playing on the right side of the puck, and they're never cheating to get their offensive goals or points. Um, it comes from hard work, and I couldn't agree with you more that both these players are going to be mirror images of each other, going to see a lot of each other out there, I think. Um with the way they create and you know that's going to be one of the things people are focused in on do their all-stars and 
Sebastian Ajo and Barkov lead the way offensively. And if one of them comes off their game a little bit, that's going to be a huge hole um, the other side can capitalize on. Shane, talk to me about the the year for Brent Burns, year one in Carolina after a very long time, you know, being a major part of the San Jose Sharks defensive core and now has formed what might be one of the best pairings in the NHL with Jacob Slavin. How has he looked in Carolina colors and what kind of impact has he had on this team in the postseason? Well, he's been great all season long. I think our organization in this city was extremely excited when the trade happened and Brent Burns was headed to Carolina. Brent Burns, as soon as he got here, the one thing he noticed about this team was how hard they work. And he commented on it early on in in the preseason. Um, but he and Rod Brindamore have been very close this entire year. Rod loves him as a player and as a person, what he brings inside that locker room and how much he is focused each and every day. I think Brent Burns is an elite athlete at his age because of his preparation off the ice. But on the ice, I think he fits our system perfectly. The defensemen have the green light. They're allowed to jump up to try and create offense at any moment because the forwards are being so responsible to help cover. And I think the game suits him very well. He's had some key goals on the power play for the Hurricanes. But I really think the way he thinks and sees the game really fits this team perfectly. And he's been a huge part of it off the ice as well. He actually won the Steve Chase on award, which is given out by the players inside that locker room that they vote on each and every year. Um, for leadership and inspiration that comes from inside the locker room. So to do that as a first-year player with the team, I think that speaks volumes of Brent Burns. How important uh, is that pairing, and I guess just the overall defensive depth of Carolina going to be when you talk about this Florida team and sort of the chaotic offensive nature that they bring and have brought all postseason long? Well, I think that's the one thing. Uh, everyone looks at home ice advantage and the matchups you're looking at, and Rod has commented on this before. He's trying to get his defensive matchups against their lines, but you mentioned the depth. I don't think it's ever an area where Rod or Tim Gleason coaching the defensemen are in a panic if someone else is on the ice. Uh, they have so so much depth. You mentioned Pesci and Shea. They've done a great job throughout the playoffs. And then you look at Chatfield and Gosses Bear. Both of them skate so well that even if it looks like they're beat, they have the skating ability to really recover and make the defensive play. Burns and Slavin are obviously the number one. They're huge guys. They both can skate. They cover a ton of territory out there. But I think the skating ability of all six players never allows the coaching staff to be in what you'd say a nervous situation if another pair was out there against the Kachuk or the Barkovs or the Verhages at any given moment. Shane, what do you see when you see uh, the challenges that Florida's going to present in this series? Well, I think it – in this series, and I was talking on a podcast earlier today, you look at the first series against the New York Islanders. The Islanders came out and played a very heavy physical game against the Hurricanes, trying to get them away from what they do best. They battle back through, they get through the first round. Then in the second round, it was all about speed and shutting down New Jersey's speed to the neutral zone. In this series against Florida, I kind of combined both those things into one of a very strong team. Florida has speed, but they're also going to play a very heavy game. So, the Hurricanes are going to have to focus on every different aspect they did in the first two rounds and put them all together. But the one area I do believe that the Hurricanes have impressed me all season long and really in these first two rounds is not only their mental focus, but their emotional control. And everyone watches the playoffs and we see how heated these series become. But this team has remained so even keel and emotionally charged in the right direction to never come off of their games. And 
you know, sure, they've had some tough losses in the playoffs and a tough loss against Jersey, but to not get too far off of emotionally distracted, they come back into game four and, and win a huge game on the road before coming home and ending in five. I think that may be the kind of X factor for this series for the Hurricanes of how good they are at leaving a game behind, whether it's a win or a loss, and preparing for the next game each and every day. We're chatting all things Carolina Hurricanes ahead of their matchup with the Florida Panthers in the Eastern Conference final starting tomorrow uh, with former NHLer and now analyst for Bally Sports, uh, Shane Willis, along with us today. Uh, Shane, you would have a unique perspective of this one as well because I believe Paul Maurice would have been your head coach uh, during your time in Carolina. Now he's coaching on the other side in Florida with another player that he's pretty familiar with coaching alongside him. How cool is it from your perspective to see Rod Brindamore now considered one of the best coaches in the NHL going up against the guy that probably taught him a few things when he was coaching him in Carolina? Yeah, there's no doubt. I was here um, with Paul behind the bench. I actually played on line with Rod Brindamore that year as uh, Mo coached us. But there's no question Rod looks back at his career and Paul Maurice is one of the guys that you definitely take things away from of what he did inside and outside of the locker room to prepare teams. And I think that's why Rod is so good because he's such a student of the game. I think everyone thinks that guys step away from the game and they be- they become coaches and everything becomes easy for them. But Rod has really studied the game and really looked at other coaches around the league and watched a ton of video on how teams play and, and built a system that he believes can win, which is obviously doing now, um, and changed the culture inside the locker room. And you, there's no doubt that Paul – Facing off against Rod is one of the storylines. The other one's going to be the Stahl brothers going head-to-head. Um, we're back in the driveway facing off in Game 7, as these guys probably did when they were kids back in Ontario. But um, you know Paul and Rod will be looking across at each other, trying to figure each other out real quick in this series. But you know they have the utmost respect for each other. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, the winners will shake the other guy's hands and give them a tip of the cap because I think they both know how great of coaches they really are. Just a side note to all of this. I'm, I'm curious to ask you because there's always those stories about Rod Brindamore being the, the freak in the gym who was always, you know, a hundred percent in shape. He was always ahead of guys from that. And even as a coach now still maintains that reputation. When you were playing with him, was he that guy? Were those stories always true about him being that sort of gym freak and always being just crazy in shape in his entire career? Yes, those are all completely true. Um, I've never seen a guy work this hard. And even even now, when I come into the room, if it's early in the morning, trying to get things done with different roles and things like that, he is probably the first guy still inside that locker room, making sure he gets his lift in before the guys arrive. But I think that's part, as a player, they continue to feed off of that. Yeah, Rod is such an honest coach that they respond because he doesn't ask him to do anything that he wouldn't do, and he continues to do today. So... He's definitely still shredded. I don't go anywhere near the gym when he's in there, so um, I don't look bad. But um, he's definitely – I would put him up against any coach in the league as the fittest coach in the National Hockey League. Uh, Shane, got to ask you, interesting uh, storyline for Carolina heading into this too. Freddie Anderson uh, has taken over the net. He's been great down six games played. Is this his job uh, right now heading into this series as Kane's number one goaltender? I think without a doubt in my mind that he is. Um, he came in in game six against the Islanders. He played outstanding in that game, helping the Hurricanes win in overtime. And he's continued to do that. I think the one bump in the road was in the Jersey series in game three. But that was, I think, for all of us, as you sit here and say, okay, well, how is he going to respond? 
And when you see the response in game four, and then again, how he played in game five, I think that lets everyone kind of be at ease and say, this is our guy. Um, this is the reason why he came to Carolina. Obviously, he missed the playoff last year with a tough injury. But um, he is really mentally focused right now when you see him around the room, when he's going into games. He's dialed in, and you kind of get the sense from him that this is my net. No one's taking it away until um, you know we win all of this thing. So it's great to see from Freddie Anderson. I know the guys in front of him are really feeding off of this play right now. Shane, how impressed are you with the, some of the young guys that have come up in this Carolina organization and been contributing factors, specifically this postseason? And the guys that come to mind for me, you mentioned him earlier with Seth Jarvis. Uh, I think we forget sometimes that Kotkaniemi is just 22 years old. Even a guy like Jack Drury, just at 23, they all seem to be so mature for their age. And I, I guess part of that probably goes back to what we talked about with Rod Brindamore and, and being that former player and giving guys confidence to that. But make no mistake about it, it's got to be hard at 21, 22, 23 years old to come in and, and play as well as these guys have in a Stanley Cup playoff. Yeah, I think each of them kind of have a little bit of a different story. Um, Jack Drury has learned this culture and this system from playing inside the minor leagues and then coming up at a few different times. And he's doing exactly what he needs to do from a compete level and playing positionally smart and being inside of his role. Uh, Seth Jarvis came in as a rookie and obviously had a great year. Obviously there was bumps in his second year. And when you talk about maturity, he knew that. I think the surrounding of Seth Jarvis with such great leaders like Martinuk, um, Jordan Stahl, and especially this year, one guy Seth Jarvis talks about a lot is Brent Burns and how Brent Burns has grabbed this kid and he continues to teach him and show him different things. So, um, the same with Kokinami. When he got here, you mentioned how young he is. It was really surprising, I think, to a lot of people how little he had grown in his time in Montreal. So they knew it was going to take some time, and they really pushed him. But I think Kokinami has completely bought into what it takes to be that kind of star-type NHL player on a daily basis, and you continue to see his steps moving forward. And the organization has a ton of belief in him. Uh, they signed him to that long-term contract because they feel he's going to continue to move in the right direction. And when you look at five years in the playoffs, you look at these three guys, and you mentioned their age, it just shows the future is so bright for this organization to continue each and every year being a team that's going to contend and everyone around the National Hockey League be like, Carolina's in it again. But it's all about that depth and these young guys coming up and playing the right way and learning from these great leaders inside the locker room. Uh, Shane, before we let you go, if Carolina wants to walk out of this series and head to another Stanley Cup final, what in your mind has to go right for them in this series against the Panthers? Well, for me, I go back to the defenseman and scoring. I think when you look across the way, I think guys like Montour and Ekblad have done a good job for Florida. But I feel the six guys on the Hurricanes side can produce offensively more than the Florida's defense. I think the Hurricanes will have a very good uh, chance to take out the Florida Panthers. Shane, I really appreciate the time. Thanks so much for doing this with us today. Uh, enjoy the series. We'll catch up with you sometime soon, eh? Sounds great. Appreciate the time. Thank you. Shane Willis joining us, former NHLer, now an analyst for Bally Sports, covering all things Carolina Hurricanes. They're getting set to kick off the Eastern Conference Final against the Florida Panthers tomorrow night in Carolina. And, uh, yes, you heard us mention it there, and he said it as well. Tebu Teravainen uh, closing in on a return for Carolina. Not sure exactly what that might look like or what kind of timeline, but it certainly sounds like he's going to be an option 
at some point for this Carolina team who, surprisingly enough, hasn't missed any of them. I think that's the biggest reason maybe people like myself, I didn't pick them in the first two rounds. I wondered about where the goal scoring was going to come from when you miss out on Svechnikov, Pacioretty, Taravine, and those are just not just complimentary guys. Those are big pieces of a Carolina offense. And, you know, here we are sitting here. Who had Jordan Martinuk at almost a point per game through 11 games in the playoffs? The guy's got 10 points. Sebastian Ajo, 10 points? Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Jordan Martinuk at, at 10 points in 11 games of the Stanley Cup playoffs? Big surprise. And as you heard, uh, you know, Shane mentioned there too, defense providing offense for this Carolina team going to be a big factor for you to watch in this series because while none of them point, you know, break out a point per game or bigger level than that, all of the defensemen really, with the exception of a couple, have still potted a few points here and there. Burns is at eight points. Flavin's at six. Another six coming from Pesci. Uh, Gostas Bears only got three, but we know what kind of offense he brings to the table. Uh, it's a very deep group. Anytime you can throw out guys like Paul Stastny, and Derek Stepan on your fourth line. Uh, I think you're talking about a team that's incredibly deep. Can they hold off a Carolina, Florida team that's been, you know, surprising everybody with the offensive volume that they've put up? I think Carolina's got probably the best chance to do that, given how deep their D is. And, and like Shane mentioned, this isn't going to be one of those series where you're going to need to hard match if you're Carolina because you're probably confident that the Jalen Chatfield pairing could survive a shift or two against the Barkov line if they had to. It's not going to be life or death if your third pairing or your fourth line gets caught out in a bad situation because they are so deep. They do have veteran guys to trust. Jordan Stahl is the third-line center of the Carolina Hurricanes. That's a pretty good third center to have in this league, and it's going to be a depth thing for Carolina. It's how they got here. No doubt it's going to be how they try to win this series as well uh, when it comes to games against the Florida Panthers. That's coming up. Like we mentioned, it kicks off the uh, the Stanley Cup finals in the East and the Western Conference tomorrow. Six o'clock start. Sportsnet, CBC will have the game for you. Uh, and of course, um, I think, depending on Wranglers hockey, we might have it for you here uh, on Sportsnet 960 as well. But we'll, we'll keep a lid on that one until we're 100% sure. Uh, we're going to have it for you on the airwaves. That's uh, Thanks to Shane again for doing that. Uh, appreciate him down the Atlas Pizza Sports Bar guest hotline. We'll take a break. We'll come back on the other side. Jump into the news uh, off the ice in the NHL today. That was that the Arizona Coyotes uh, were told no by Tempe. Uh, they're not going to be a wanted tenant. That building proposal will not happen. And once again, the future of the Arizona Coyotes and where they're going to play for the future uh, is up in the air once again. Elliot Friedman, uh, at Hockey Night in Canada, Sportsnet Hockey Insider, uh, with the latest on that next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. You've probably heard the news by now after it came out Tuesday evening. The vote that many deemed the future of the Arizona Coyotes was in its early results stage, not positive when it came to their bid to build a new 
stadium entertainment district in Tempe, Arizona. And it's all but killed the plans for the Arizona Coyotes to make Tempe their long-term home. And it's left everybody today across the NHL wondering what's next for the Arizona Coyotes. This is Sports Night Today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. It was decisively voted down by area residents and now maybe more than ever, the NHL has to seriously reconsider relocating the Arizona Coyotes. We cannot play in a 4,600-seat capacity college hockey arena without some sort of future plan. Obviously, there's been mistakes along the way. The commissioner has been headstrong and probably stubborn in his views about the long-term success of this team and who he put trust in to run this team and to give this team future landing spots that were going to make sense. And I think that there's a, there's a market there. I think there's no doubt a, a plan and a, a version of this that works with the Arizona Coyotes being a long-term franchise with the NHL, but you mix in middling to below average results with a team that's constantly been on the move, you're, it, it's never been a good recipe for success. And the Arizona Coyotes are still in the midst of a rebuild. They do not have the star power to outdraw any of the other major sports franchises in their own area. And frankly, why would anybody feel confident in the current group running the Arizona Coyotes to get this thing right, whether it's been Glendale, Scottsdale, or this latest attempt in in Tempe, it's been a massive failure at every step of the road for the Arizona Coyotes, and perhaps that, that next step now, more than ever, should be considered where does this team land next? Where does it finally come out looking like it's going to find a long-term home? Those are the questions that are circling today and, you know, uh, NHL commissioner Gary Bettman with a statement last night regarding the results of the arena vote in Tempe saying, quote, the national hockey league is terribly disappointed by the results of the public referenda regarding the coyotes arena project in Tempe. We're going to review with the coyotes, what the options might be going forward. It was a similar quote from Coyotes president and CEO Xavier Gutierrez, who said after the vote, quote, we are very disappointed Tempe voters did not approve propositions 301, 302, and 303. As Tempe Mayor Corey Woods said, this was the best sports deal in Arizona history. So what makes sense now for the Arizona Coyotes? For 27 years, it's failed to find a permanent home in the state of Arizona. And with a long list of potential candidates to now ho- house the, the Arizona Coyotes going forward, it's uh, become as big a conversation as maybe it's ever been. And maybe the timing's never been better for Arizona to move and find a new home. Uh, as this news, of course, breaking NHL insiders like our own 
Uh, Elliot Friedman have been on top of it and trying to monitor what's next for this group as both of those statements I read out to you from Gary Bettman and from Xavier Gutierrez, uh, president and CEO of the Coyotes. Uh, maybe most people clinging on to those words that didn't get said in those statements. And that was, you know, looking at what the next options are, but not one of, of, of Gutierrez or Bettman saying, or, you know, proclaiming that the options had to be in Arizona or what the next options were to keep the Coyotes in Arizona, something that we've heard at nauseum from this organization and from this commissioner for years now was that there was always this hedge. Okay, well, the Tempe didn't work. What's next in Arizona? We haven't heard that yet, and that's what's led a lot of people, like we'll hear from Elliot Friedman here in just moments, to think that maybe the NHL's finally come to the point where they might relocate and where that would be how the, the NHL benefits from this, now all up on uh, the table for discussion. Here is Elliot Friedman. He joined Matt Marchese uh, on the Jeff Merrick Show a little bit earlier today with all the details on how this went down, potential options, what's going through the minds of the Arizona Coyotes and the NHL after a disappointing result in the vote from Tempe yesterday. Here's Marchese with Elliot Friedman earlier. Last night, the vote with the city of Tempe this arena deal that has now fallen through. Um, I guess the first question is how surprised are you that this didn't go through? Because every indication that I had read and seen was that things were very positive And a lot of people thought that this maybe not a slam dunk, but it wasn't going to happen. You know, I, I got, the one thing is I don't have a good answer for how surprised I am. Cause I just like with this kind of thing, this is out of my area of expertise, and I'm never confident predicting winners in elections. But the one thing I will say, Matt, is that I do not believe political polls, and I haven't for quite some time. Um, you know, if, if you've ever spent, like, there was one year when I worked on a political campaign, and I did some polling, and it was, uh, like, you, you call people up, and you ask them their opinions, and I think that it's a lot different now than it was 30 years ago when I did that. First of all, how many people answer their phones? Secondly, how many people are really being truthful? Like nobody, nobody takes surveys on phones anymore, at least nobody in my circle of people I know. I don't know if I believe polling anymore. And plus, in many of the last few elections, the polling has turned out to be I don't know if completely wrong would be the answer, but way off. Like, big, big elections, small elections, go back just over the last little while and see how much polling has turned out to be inaccurate. So I generally don't listen to polls, um, you know, whether they're good or bad. Um, you know, they, they, there was a lot of reporting in the days leading up to this vote. I read a lot of it, and I, was, I thought a lot of it was very interesting and very well done but I refuse to let it influence my opinion. So I went in last night with an open mind. I really felt I didn't know, and we were going to see what happened. And uh, so that was when it was, when, it, when the answer came out, no. Like the one thing about Arizona is um, there was another, there was one, I noticed there was like one other uh, uh, question that was being asked about, in, like there were three with the Coyotes and there was one other one. And I looked it up, and it was something about like, um, like fire, like like something to do with the fire uh, department, some extra taxes for the for the way that was going to work, and that got voted down too. 
And, you know, Arizona is a no-tax state. I just don't think people there like extra taxes. And uh, so, I mean, surprised or not, I really don't have an opinion on that, Matt. But, you know, I, I'm disappointed for the true fans of the Coyotes and the people who have worked or in that organization for a long time. I, I think it's really tough, uh, but the people have voted. And when the people vote, you have to listen to what they say. Yeah, I, I've had the same sentiment in my open. I, I To be honest, Fridge, there have been so many other iterations of problems with the Arizona Coyotes or the Phoenix Coyotes previously to that, that I didn't think that this was going to be the final straw here. But it does kind of feel like that's where we're at right now, at least with them in the state of Arizona. So so what do you think is going through the mind of the NHL right now? I don't know what their thoughts were on what the results may be. I have I have no idea of that, but I would assume that everything is on the table when it comes to the Arizona Coyotes at this point, don't you? Well, yes. I think that uh, now, you, now you're working on your plan B and your plan C, D, E, and F. Um, you know, I look, I, I think the biggest questions are, in no particular order. Number one, uh, you, is there any chance you can move with the Suns? And re, like, like I, like, there's a reason Gary Batman has fought for this market. Whether you agree with it or not, he has fought for this market because Arizona, Phoenix, the surrounding area is a major U.S. market. The NFL has a team there. The NBA has a team there. Uh, Major League Baseball has a team there. It's None of that is an accident. It's there for um, a reason because it's a big market. It's a big market, and you want to do it, and you want to be there. And, you know, I, so I think if there's any chance they can save it with the Suns, I, 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 I think I will, I will try. If, if there's any chance they can save it with the Suns, they will try to do it. One sec here, Matty. I don't know if Elliot is, is I don't know if Elliot is saving someone again like he did on his walk the other day. Um but um there he is. Uh, Were you saving um, someone? Again? No, 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 there was nothing like that. Um so like there's there's that thing with with uh there's that thing with the signs. And then you know the the second thing is is that if that can't work, then they're going to get moved. And I think the question is, are they getting moved now or are they getting moved after a year? Like, like, like that's one of the biggest questions I was trying to ask last night and this morning, Matt, is can they move right now? Like, you'll remember when they ran out of time in Atlanta, they had Winnipeg ready to go. So I think the question is, who's ready to go? Like, I think there are various cities... Um, like I mentioned on the pod this morning, I mentioned Houston, I mentioned Kansas City, I mentioned Salt Lake City, although I think that's more down the road. Some people have started wondering about Sacramento because their owner took a look at the Ottawa situation. Does he have interest in hockey? Um, you know, I had, I had a couple of people reach out and say, you didn't mention Portland, you should mention Oklahoma City. Like, you know, I know in Canada, like, I think we all want Quebec City. I don't know that I see that here because I think they want to keep the West-East balance. So I think it's more likely a Western-based market would be the answer. Um, but those are all possibilities. I think there becomes questions about 
who's ready for it? How soon are they ready for it? Do you prefer, like, you look at the success of Seattle and you look at the success of Vegas. Do you prefer a non-NBA market, but also beggars can't be choosers? Like, I think the other thing, too, is does the NHL buy the team or does Morello move it or does he sell it? I think all of these questions have to be answered. But to me, the biggest one is if there's no ability to save down to, to save it with, with the Suns, how soon can you move it? Well, that was going to be my question was about if, if they decide, okay, we have to do this immediately. Obviously, you need a building that is ready. That's why Quebec City always comes up because they have the yes. Videotron Center. And I understand the idea of wanting to keep the East-West balance. But what, what do you think the drop-dead date is here? Because you, you have to have something. Like, obviously, you would want something in soon but soon doesn't really work when you're dealing with moving an entire franchise like at what point do you think the nhl goes well this isn't going to work for this year maybe we need to put the team up for sale and then we can kind of go from there but at some point they're going to have to make a decision on this year and maybe playing out a mullet arena for one more year is what's going to happen do you have any sense of when they need to make a decision by like when was the atlanta thing because i feel like that was in the spring I was just going to say that. I think that's the surest predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And uh, the um, the uh, Atlanta to Winnipeg was right before game one of the Stanley Cup final. So we're talking end of May, beginning of June. Okay. Um, now, here's the other question. Do you think, because there there's obviously been a lot written about the organization under Alex Morello, and there's been some seemingly untenable situations there. Do you think that with the way that this vote went with all the other things playing in a college arena because they got booted out of Glendale and all the other stuff that's gone along with it, not all of it is Alex Morello's fault, but do you think that the NHL is in a position to quote unquote, make him sell the team? Uh, I think the commissioner has great power. Uh, So I like, if it came to that, absolutely. I think it could potentially happen. That doesn't mean it wouldn't end up with some kind of a fight, but um, it could have, like, look, like the, the NFL just made Daniel Snyder uh, sell the commanders. Um, sometimes you get to a point where it happens. Yeah, that would be, that would be quite something for the NHL. Uh, Elliot Freeman from now, Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, now I should say like those things are, are there were other factors. Similar. Yeah, there were other yes, factors, but, but but no, there's, it can happen. There's also the question of, well, Gary Bettman works for the owners. We all know that. And how many of these owners are looking at this situation going, I'm especially the, the wealthier ones. I'm sick of writing a, a, a revenue sharing check for a team that's playing out of a 5,000 seat arena. Well, I think the other thing too, Matt is first of all, that's true. And secondly, I think, I think there will be a lot of pressure from the players association too. Um, I, I know that when, um, Walsh was going through the time to was going through the process of being hired there. Arizona came up quite a bit that I think there were players and agents who felt that um, the NHLPA had not pressured the NHL enough on this issue. Now there's a limit to what they can do, but he, I, he heard it very loud and clear that the Arizona situation was something he was going to have to deal with. And he was prepared to wait to see if they won the vote or not. But he knew if they lost, they were going to have to push for a solution. 
And Arizona was actually the first team he met with. So I, I do believe that um, it's a situation here where you're going to see the Players Association, in addition to the owners, push for some kind of solution. All right, more on this Arizona situation. I think also, too, yep. like one other thing I want to mention is, you know, I think Arizona was waiting on Logan Cooley's decision from the University of Minnesota to join the team this year. I don't know where that stands, but I've got to think it's tougher for them to convince him to come out this year until they know, until he has a better idea of what their future is. Yeah, it could be playing for the Houston Coyotes next season. We have no idea. Um, that would be that would be interesting. There you go. That's just part of Elliot Friedman uh, with Matt Marchese on the Jeff Merrick Show a little bit earlier today with some of the latest on the Coyotes and their arena news after a um, <clears throat> disappointing vote in the city of Tempe yesterday and uh, the latest coming down now from Greg Wyshynski of ESPN that as far as any of that relocation talk for the upcoming season is concerned, uh, that's not going to happen. NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly has told ESPN that he doesn't envision a scenario in which the Coyotes are not playing in Mullet Arena next season. That's been confirmed by the Coyotes and uh, reaction coming down soon. So it will be Mullet Arena once again for Arizona in 2023-2024. So you can cool your jets as far as, you know, where are they going to jump in Uh, this season? Was Salt Lake City ready? Was Quebec City ready? That doesn't sound like it's going to be an issue uh, for this season, but it is still going to be one going forward because, as you heard there near the end, owners are going to get sick and tired of you know paying up revenue sharing when a team can only bring in 4,600 fans per game. And that's when they're selling out, which isn't that often either. So the story continues for the Arizona Coyotes. Some of those options that you heard from Friedman there that I thought were interesting, though, you know, talking about reasonable places where they could go. Um, there is an owner in Salt Lake City that uh, has talked a lot about bringing an NHL team there, Ryan Smith, who owns the Utah Jazz, and their building in downtown Salt Lake City, um, has talked to the NHL before, I believe. Um, got a little bit of uh, noise going too about a fan who said, Hey, let's get a team to Salt Lake city. And he goes, yeah, it's in motion. We're working on it. Um, they would move into Vivint arena, which holds about 14,000 fans for hockey. He just bought the jazz in 2020. Be one of the older buildings in the league, but Salt Lake city is in the process of perhaps bidding for another winter Olympics. And part of that would include a new arena. So, you could walk into a situation in Salt Lake City where you've got an arena for the next couple of years. That's good. Uh, obviously keeps the formation in the West um, in one that Gary Bettman in the league's fine with. You don't have to change anything around if you're the Coyotes in that sense. You can stay in the same division. That's That seems to be one of the bigger reasons. I don't know what Bettman's overall thoughts are on having a team in, in Canada again. It just doesn't seem like it's a priority for him. I mean, Quebec... City makes a ton of sense. You see how much, you know, the Quebec Ramparts are putting in as far as drawing people in. They've done well more than anything the Coyotes have done the last couple of years, let alone at Mullet Arena. But Canadian dollar, moving a team out east and out of the Western Conference seems to be an issue for the NHL right now. 
Houston's an interesting one and makes a lot of sense just based on the size of the market. But that one still hasn't been, you know, you're talking about going to the Toyota Center, holds 17,800 people. Uh, the Rockets haven't been overly interested in, in sharing the building with an NHL tenant. So that's a, a bit of a hiccup there. What else can you get done in Houston? It sounds as though, based on that news I just told you from Greg Wachinski, you know, that it's not going to happen this year. Um, the NHL is going to have some time to think about it and some time to really go through some options. They're not going to have to do it this year, but I mean, uh, it's uh, in my mind, it has to happen now. I mean, I'm uh, as a, a lot of people sit here on the text line at 960-960 talking about enough is enough. At, at some point, stop beating your head against the wall and do what's best. It's not only best for the organization at this point, it's best for the league to get Arizona, uh, to get the Coyotes out of Arizona and into a stable marketplace. It doesn't make any sense um, for them to do this. So we'll see what happens. 2023-2024 uh, will be at Mullen Arena. Uh, that's confirmed by uh, Bill Daly, Dep- NHL Deputy Commissioner, to Greg Wyshynski of ESPN, and uh, confirmed by the Coyotes. Some of your texts at 960-960, uh, talking to Arena News with the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, this text says, I'm incredibly proud of the citizens of Tempe. Owners of sports teams have gone too far and are asking too much public taxpayer money. Good to see a city finally say no. It's frustrating we didn't even have the opportunity to vote on the arena deal here in Calgary. Our pal Matt and Cochran texting in saying, I have no sympathy for the league, Bettman, or the Coyotes organization. Bettman was quick to threaten the move for the Flames without a new arena, but three decades of incompetence in Arizona gets handled with kids' gloves. Uh, this one says move the Coyotes to, um, no, that one. Uh, uh, this one says Edmonton Oilers legend, Ryan Smith. It is spelled the same as Oilers legend, Ryan Smith, but I I don't believe that Ryan Smith made the kind of money, uh, in his NHL tenure to, uh, buy the, um, Utah jazz and a, I believe an MLS soccer team as well. Uh, there, so I don't think it is Oilers legend, Ryan Smith, I would say Islanders legend, Ryan Smith, actually. Um, this one says, uh, plus they say 80% of the revenue, uh, for the NHL is generated by the six Canadian teams. This one says Quebec makes zero sense. No population, no corporate presence. It does in a sense because they have an arena ready to go and they've been pumping out fans to Quebec Remparts games for, for years now, well past anything that Arizona's done. I don't, I can't speak about the, the corporate presence that that texture brings up in, in Quebec City. I have no idea about anything like that. I Maybe that is a reason that the NHL um, is less interested in Quebec City than others, but I don't know. Uh, this text says, bring the Yotes to Red Deer, let the Sutters expand the Centrium. Uh, from Derek in, our, in Red Deer, obviously. And uh, this one says, couldn't you, in theory, play a chunk of home games in Quebec City to generate some revenue. Logistics-wise, I don't think that that works. You're going to have the Coyotes putting on too many miles based on it, but do I think that Quebec City would show out and um, fill up games hoping to get an NHL City back there? Yeah, absolutely they would be. That's not a um, that's not a question in my mind. I, I don't think you even need to have the the conversation of, of would they go to Quebec City and make money, I do think they would. 
I mean, it's not, but that's that you're talking about outdrawing a 4,600 seat arena. Most, most places with a hockey interest could do that. And I'm not trying to, to take a shot at the coyotes. That's just the reality of it. Whether we want to joke about going to red deer or as this one says, uh, you know, put them to Saskatchewan or something. They, they probably would outdraw the coyotes. A middling hockey team that can't sit in the same arena for two, three years and a, a point now. It's it's time to move on. I, I think anything should be on the table for the NHL. I think that they should have looked to do it this year. I think another year in Mullet Arena just compounds the problem. But I guess it, if anything, it buys them time to find the next possible location in the best spot. I don't know. It's it's been one of those conversations that's frankly gone on too long, and I hope that well, I'm disappointed for Arizona fans and for people in that marketplace that do want to support hockey and do want to be there on a full time basis. Um, as Matt and Cochran and some of the other just pointed out, it's been much. It's been, it's just been too long. We've waited for this this sort of conversation. Other NHL markets, other NHL teams didn't get nearly the sort of backing that, that Arizona's gotten in all of this. And at some point, it just makes sense to uh, to pull the plug. We'll uh, obviously continue to monitor this situation. Anything that comes down as far as uh, Coyotes news uh, in the future of, of where that franchise might land, we'll, we'll bring it to you um, as soon as we hear anything on it. But, of course, the latest from Greg Wyshynski and ESPN, that no relocation for next year at least. Uh, the Coyotes likely to stay in Mullen Arena for the 2023 2024 season. We'll come back on the other side. We'll kick off hour two. A little bit of Flames conversation. Yes, the GM news still lurking over this team, but could we be approaching an announcement from the team? At least one prominent Calgary media member thinks we're on the horizon of a deal. We'll talk to you about that next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.